Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks Volume 49. This week, I'm here with a man who's known as the pride of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> and no stranger to the Across the Pond podcast, Mr. Terry Whalen. What's up, Terry? How are you? Uh, <laughs> again, those uh, those introductions, Chris. That's, I was that's working a, on that well, one. That's, what, that's uh, the only reason I come back. Right? That's, 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 that's uh, a, very excited. An ego that. stroke, yes. <laughs> As always, to be here with Terry. Yeah, um, great, uh, great to see you. Great to see, uh, great to see Paul. Yeah, always, always Paulie's here as back. always. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's good. We're uh, you know trying to get through it all. Yep. Yeah, Islanders got a win this morning. Islanders got a win. So, Habs got pooched by the refs this morning. Uh, oh I my see, gosh! Uh, yeah. If, wait till there's you see com- it, boys. There's wait a, till there's you see a complaint it. as uh, old as the game itself. I got a conspiracy. There's a conspiracy going on against the Habs <laughs> right now because that definitely wasn't a goal. I see. It was no goal. Anyway, Terry, we're not here to talk about the Habs, are we? No, we are. No, not. we aren't. No. We are here to talk about the history of the Winter Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And the Olympics the, uh, in general. Yeah, yeah well, the uh, hockey at the Olympics and yeah. and of course more specifically, you know, the history of the Canadian teams. Yes. of uh that we've uh, that have uh, represented mm-hmm. the country so very very well uh since uh we'll start well it starts way back 1920. There you go. Yeah. So uh Terry before uh, before we get started, I just want to thank you again um for putting in the work and and let everybody know that this is going to be a two parts uh, show. Two parts. It's uh, we're going to go talk today from the uh, from the beginnings uh, and then uh, up to 1968. Okay. And uh, then there's a, a break there, mm-hmm. and uh, when we come back uh, for part two, we'll take it from uh, 1980 uh, up until uh, to the present day to 2022, just next month. Sounds good. Looking forward. All to All right. It. What do you got for us? Yeah. So uh, the uh, the modern Olympic Games were first held in Athens in 1896. The ancient Olympic Games were held there from 776 B.C. to 393 A.D. The modern games were the brainchild of Baron Pierre de Coubertin, a French educator and historian. And when the winter version of the games started in 1924 in Chamonix, France, ice hockey was an immediate centerpiece to the action. Over the course of the last century, hockey at the games has provided many great memories and moments and has been central to the growth of the game worldwide. It has also led to overt and covert nationalism, accusations of cheating and gaming the system, political infighting, recriminations, protests, insults, hurt feelings, and childish behavior. It turns out, when you take what is already an extremely fast and oftentimes violent game and then wrap it in a flag, people, people get passionate. And, sure and Chris, do. as we start here... What are uh, your thoughts, you know, on, on international or Olympic play and, and what it means to the players and, and to the fans? Well, to, as a, from a fan's perspective, it's, you know, I think it's something that everyone looks forward to. Sure. Um, even if you're not a huge sports fan, there's still that huge group of people that this, tune into the this, Olympics. Yeah, and that's what it really does. It picks up those casual right. fans. Like you said, with, right, when you wrap a flag around it, things yeah. change. Yeah, um, without a doubt. The amount of pride that people have putting the flag on their chest is is unheard of. Or Sorry, it's, it's equal around the world. Sure. Like, for me, I always thought, like, you know, we're so proud of our Canadian flag. And yeah. then when you, you realize there's... The rest of the world is just as just proud as, as theirs as well, course. you know. Yeah. So, like, um, people are tribal. People are people are very tribal. And what I've been fortunate enough to uh, to chat with a few Olympic athletes over the years, and 
um, just to hear what their stories and what it meant to them. It's yeah. it's it's very obvious that it means a lot. That's it's, right. It's probably and and you, you sometimes you'll ask guys you know they'll, to compare between winning a cup and winning an Olympic gold medal. It's fifty fifty. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's yeah. it's a toss up. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that speaks volumes. That does, and, yeah. and you're right. It's that Olympic effect, eh? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, nothing against people who luge. Yeah. I mean, luge, I have great respect. I, I wouldn't last a minute at it. Yeah. But you really, people don't care much or think much about luge. Right. But every four years, it's in the Olympics. It brings a level of importance to it. Mm -hmm. And with your more popular sports, you know, it, it, comes, it comes with that. That's right. It's multiplied. So, Terry, you said the, the, the Winter Olympics started in 1924, um, but I see the first gold medal for hockey was awarded in 1920. How did that happen? That's because the first ice hockey competition was held at the Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. Those games were held in Antwerp, Belgium in July 1920. Three months before that, from April 23rd to 29th, they held the inaugural Olympic ice hockey competition. The IIHF, founded in 1908, considers the 1920 tournament to be the first ice hockey world championship. From then on, the two events occurred concurrently, and every Olympic tournament until 1968 is counted as the world championship. Seven nations participated in that first tournament. Belgium, Canada, Czechoslovakia, France, Sweden, Switzerland, the United States. A variation of a round-robin tournament was used, called the Bergval system, and the team representing Canada won the gold medal game, defeating Sweden 12-1. to The U.S. took silver with seven born-in-Canada players and Czechoslovakia the bronze. Wow, that's some crazy... Yeah. A lot of things I never heard of there. The I, Bergball system being one. <laughs> yeah, it was a one-off. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that was it. It was right. a one-and-done. Yeah, not as effective. So the team representing Canada, who was it? Yeah, that's right. I, and, Chris, you have to understand, what we think of today as Team Canada, a team built with the express purpose of competing internationally for a world championship or an Olympic medal, those teams didn't, didn't exist until the 1960s. Before that, the reigning Allen Cup champion was usually given the opportunity to represent Canada on the international stage. So we have to make a quick digression here to speak to the importance of the Allen Cup and its place in Canadian hockey history. Absolutely. Yeah, in 1908, a split occurred in the competition of ice hockey in Canada, leaving a professional league and a variety of amateur leagues. The trustees of the Stanley Cup decided that the cup would be awarded to the professional champion, meaning there was no corresponding trophy for the amateur championship. The Allen Cup was donated in early 1909 by businessman and Montreal Amateur Athletic Association president Sir H. Montague Allen. Like the Stanley Cup, it began as a challenge trophy before adhering to a playoff format. Since 1984, the Allen Cup has been competed for by teams in the senior AAA category, and though interest in senior hockey has diminished over the years, the Cup retains an important place in Canadian hockey history. The Cup championship is determined in an annual tournament held in the city or town of a host team playing off against regional champions. The holders are the Lacombe Generals from Alberta, and past champions include teams like the Trail Smoke Eaters and the Dundas Real McCoys. Great names. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the Cup has been won by teams from every province and the Yukon, as well as by two teams from the United States, which played in Canadian leagues. The original Cup has been retired to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and a re replica is presented to the champions. And Chris, you, you still play and referee mm -hmm. senior hockey here. Yeah. And, uh, but, but what about back home? Is that, what's the state of it, really, uh, to your knowledge? To right, my right knowledge, now? right now, I mean, it's still going, and yeah. it's and it's something that you know, it's a very important cup, and it means a lot to a lot of people. Right. So, and a lot of these historic teams that have been around for a long time, yeah, uh, they're not going anywhere. I don't think. Right. These, this is a really important part of Canadian hockey, and um, yeah, I have a good friend, Stuart McRae, who was on the podcast in season one. Yeah. Um, he won the Allen Cup. Yeah. Um, and he's played for a couple of different teams, but like normally, um, you know, bef guys that are playing university hockey or right. guys that have played, their season is over. Yeah. Um, they're allowed to, Allen Cup teams are allowed to pick, pick up a up. few players. Yes. Yeah. So that's where I've seen my buddies that have gone off and played it a few times. Yeah. Um, and just, they all just rave about the, 
you know how much people put into it the effort around it the whole organization of the tournament sure. it's first class sure. um so yeah real tremendous tournament yeah and and again you know the the popularity of of senior hockey i'm sure it, it waxes and wanes yeah right you know in in certain areas you know generations guys grow up and grow older and it mm-hmm. takes a little while for the next generation to come in maybe yeah but it, it's roots hockey right exactly it's small towns and it's... place uh like the he played in in newfoundland yeah so they're playing and the rink is packed Sure. That small towns all around are there. That's it. Everyone's yeah. coming Owning in to see in the town. game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's really it's pretty special. For sure. Um, so, all right. So what team represented Canada in Antwerp in 1920? That would be the Winnipeg Falcons. They upset the University of Toronto 11-5 in a two-game total goal series to win the Allen Cup. The Falcons were formed in 1911. All of the players were of Icelandic descent and therefore immigrant outcasts in Anglophile Winnipeg. They disbanded in April 1916 when the entire team joined the army to fight the First World War. Two members were killed in action, Frank Buster Thornsteinson in a gas attack and George Cumbers by German shelling. The rest reorganized in 1919, picked up a couple of players, and in 1920 returned to Europe, again representing Canada. This was, you remember now, this was still seven aside with a rover and one right. sub, yeah. two 20-minute halves hockey. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge for the team was getting there. It cost $10,000 Canadian, a huge amount of money, for the voyage to Antwerp. And Chris, the players bought wood in Montreal and had the ship's carpenter carve two dozen sticks to use in the games oh over my. there. Yeah, the, after the Olympics, they made the short trip to Flanders, visiting battlefields where many of them were only a couple of years earlier under drastically different circumstances. Team captain Fred Fredrickson led the team at the Olympics with 12 points in three games, went on to be a member of the first Boston Bruins team to win a Stanley Cup, and was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1958. Mm. And Chris, when I say hockey in Iceland, what, what's the first thing you think of? The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks, of <laughs> I was, course. I was, but I wanted to know, why was there such a contingency of Icelandic people in Winnipeg at the uh, time? Well, again, what, just they... an immigrant, you know, uh, you know, an immigrant sto- stronghold. Wow. You know, and, and of course, you, you, you see, you know, some uh, out in the prairies, too, there was a lot of Ukrainians. Yeah. Right. You okay. know, uh, Eric Nestorenko and Bill Mosienko. You know, yeah. there's always been. Yeah. So you know, again, just immigrant and but the That's yeah incredible. the Icelandic team and of course you're right it's the Mighty Ducks. It's the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Gunnar Stahl, etc. Yeah. And and Iceland has never had they've never produced an NHL player. Uh, they're currently ranked 35th uh, internationally. Um, but I do want to show you, and we usually have a little uh, talk back and forth. But I'm showing you this right now for yeah, the okay. first time. All right. And I'm going to show you the logo. Of the Icelandic okay, team. Yeah, so take a look at that on my phone oh. and tell the people what you see. I see a maple leaf at the bottom. See, there I you go. There's, yeah. And there's the... With a falcon. With the falcon. So there's yeah. the falcon, and that maple leaf at the bottom, of course, is a shout-out to this team right here. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. So when Iceland does play internationally... They're They've got a little piece of Canada. They got hearts. a little piece of Canada. Yeah, well, that, that makes nice me want them to do well. Yeah, indeed. Eh? Let's go, Team yeah. Iceland. Yeah, yeah, it's very They're nice. right there with Team China in the rankings. Yeah, well, there you go. Mid thirties. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Host the Olympics, and and yeah. we'll get to see them. We'll get to see them. Yeah. That's right. Uh, there is one thing I will mention too, Chris. Yeah. There is a, a a Heritage Minute on YouTube. Okay. Uh, CBC put together mm-hmm. uh, in 2020 the hundredth anniversary of this team. Yeah, and uh, a little two-minute clip chills up the spine. Oh, okay, well yeah, check that if, out, if folks. You watch that. The old heritage clips yeah. from back in the day. Yeah, a new one. They're still making them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great. nice, awesome. Yeah. All right, so on to Chamonix, France. And the first Winter Olympics. Yeah, you can, your time in Quebec is, uh, you know, is, yeah. Uh, yeah, you it's can betray in. it there. Yeah. yeah, the Toronto Granites beat the University of Saskatchewan 11-2 in a two-game total goal series to win the 1923 Allen Cup. Okay. They, went on, they went into the Olympics as heavy favorites and did not disappoint. All the games were played outdoors on European-sized ice with boards only one foot high. Uh, which hurt the Canadians passing and hitting. Yeah. The boards had to be relocated daily to find the best patch of ice. Oh, wow. There were now three 15-minute periods, but goalies still could not leave their feet. Eight teams played a two-level round-robin tournament, and this format would be used uh, until the Olympic Games in 1992. Right. In the first round, Canada beat the Czechs 30 to nothing, Sweden 22 nothing, and Switzerland 33 nothing. In the final round... 
Canada beat Great Britain 19-2 and the United States 6-1 to win the gold. And before that gold medal game, Chris, the referee, who was a, a member of the French team, he gave the U.S. choice of end and therefore only one period facing the sun because their captain was older. Wow, that was the rule that yeah, the ref you know, came no, up with? Exactly. No coin toss back then. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Their captain was older. Yes. And, and, and again, <laughs> players, players often refed wow. games that, that they didn't play. Um, so over five games, Canada outscored opponents 132 to 3. Harry Moose Watson, who turned down offers to play professionally, still made the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1963. He led the way with 37 goals, 9 assists, 46 points. 37 goals. Can you imagine? 46 points. That's in, insane. Yeah, in the five games. And, and in Chris, five we, games, yeah. averaging just under 10 points a game. So, and, and, and there was a concern, Chris. Yes. Uh, you know, that, you know, maybe we wouldn't see scores quite of, of this number, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, now with the change coming in the Olympics, you're you're still going to watch the hockey. Absolutely, of course. And I mean, um, we talked about these blowouts possibly happening, and just to see these scores, yeah, you know, life went on after that. <laughs> and if that's what we did see, that's yeah. it's not the first time. So I'm right. I'm, I'm glad we we see that, and you, yeah. you mentioned that. But um, I we talked about it in the podcast this week. Um, I, I think it's time we move on from being disappointed sure. about, you know, the guys who aren't going to be there because there are so many sad stories and, you know, so many people that, you know, dedicated so much to build their game to yeah. be able to be a part of the Olympics. Yes. And, and I feel really bad for those guys. You know, some people might have been their only opportunity in their career. Right. So, but that being said, there's 20 other guys who that this who, is going to be their only time in their career, probably, exactly that they're right. going to get the chance. Yeah. So let's get excited for them. Let's get behind them and yeah. let's roll. It's, I mean, and, and is it going to be better for the game? Probably, Terry, in sure. the long run. Sure. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, big, huge blowout scores. And I didn't, wasn't a huge fan of the China men's team participating right. without being able to compete at yeah. that level. Um, I can't. I mean, I went back and forth on this a lot, sure. but in the end, I think it's going to be better for the game right. to see closer games. You know, I, nobody wants to watch a thirty nothing hockey game. And and Chris, as uh, as we go, maybe a little more in part two of the podcast, you'll yep. see um, how the team that we do send this year is going to be uh, more of the idea of the teams we did send back in the eighties and the nineties. Yes, in that period before you know the uh, the switch from we're talking club teams today. Yeah. And and uh, and then there was that like period before the professionals took over. That's right. So I mean, it's it's not like it's unprecedented or anything like that. No, it's no. not. No. And the games are still going to be on at a at a good time over That's here. That's true. We're yeah. going to get to watch t hockey at night. Hockey at night. Yeah, like yeah. we should. But Looking you know, we, we talked about just before the podcast. Um, the U.S. named their Olympic roster. They did, yeah. And 16 or 15 or 16 of them are NCAA NC, players. Yeah, that's right. And some so, guys from the K, some, some pros. So, yeah, a couple of pros yeah. and, and a they'll lot of... They'll be hungry. They'll be hungry. And, uh, you know, it's back to old times it's here. It's going to be good hockey. It's going to be great. So that brings us up to 1928. Yep. And St. Moritz, Switzerland. Samoritz. Samoritz. Yes. The, uh, the Olympic officials gave Canada a bye to the medal round. <laughs> And had the other 10 teams play a three-group round-robin to see who would join them. Okay. And this is the only time ever the United States did not send a team oh. to the Winter Olympics. Okay. The University of Toronto grads, coached by Con Smythe, mm. defeated the Fort William Thundering Herd two games to one to win the 1927 Allen Cup. The grads took care of business in Switzerland without Con Smythe, who stayed home after a team roster dispute about late additions. Oh, wow. and, and as you'll see, as you'll hear, Chris, this... It becomes a constant trial for Canadian clubs trying to adhere to the IOC's uh, regulations. Right. So yeah. the team that won the Allen Cup got to represent, but then they also were able to pick up extra players. And there's there gotcha. will be the problem as mm -hmm. as we'll see here okay. soon. Yep. Yeah. Um, the grads though they defeated uh, they defeated uh, Sweden eleven nothing, uh, Great Britain fourteen to nothing, and the host Swiss team thirteen to nothing. Despite playing only three games, Dave Trache would lead the tournament in scoring with 12 goals and 15 points. Trache would go on to play 11 seasons in the NHL, winning a Stanley Cup with the Montreal Maroons in 1934 and 35. Mm. Also on the team was Lou Hudson, whose brother, Dr. Henry Hudson, would disappear one summer on a fishing trip with Bill Barilko. 
Wow, that's awesome. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice little. That's uh, a nice little addition uh, to that story indeed, for all right? our tragically hip fans yeah, out there. You'll, you'll recognize the Bill Barilko reference. Indeed. Um, so why didn't the Americans send a team? And again, politics. Okay. And that's not the last you'll hear of that word here this yeah. evening. Uh, U.S. teams for the first two Olympics were littered with Canadians. They wanted an all-American effort this time, and Boston University had a strong team, but they couldn't get the money together to go. Head of the United States Olympic Committee, General Douglas MacArthur of I Shall Return fame, mm-hmm. he decided that the only team willing and able to go from tiny Augsburg College in Minnesota was not representative of American hockey. So they did not send a team. And, and I think that's a shame, Chris, because that Augsburg team, they were led by the five Hanson brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Charlestown Chiefs only had three. <laughs> <laughs> but there were five of them. Imagine if they got to go. Imagine if they got to go. They didn't get a shot. But um, it surprises me that there was no government support at the time um, for sending these teams to the Olympics. Was there just the entire Olympics had to fend for themselves? All athletes again, you know. I say every every four years, right? You know, and again, the the Olympics themselves, the winter, they're still in their infancy, very much, right. Right. So, I mean, even though it was the roaring 20s and again, politics, you know, they didn't think they were going to win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems strange that they're not like, you know, happily spending money to send their athletes to the Olympics. Right. Yeah. Well, I I doubt if there was much advertising money being thrown at it back in the day. I'm sure there was some cigarette ads (laughs) on their their jerseys or something. I've, yeah, you're, I, I tell you, you're probably right about that. Yeah. Lucky strikes. Lucky, so lucky strikes. Yeah. Fine tobacco. Yeah, exactly. All right. So it's now 1932 and we're in Lake Placid, New York. Yes. And, and, uh, the, the limited participation, uh, for these games is a little more understood because now we're in the midst or the start of the great depression. Yes. So yeah, these were the first Olympics to be held outside Europe, and that worldwide depression it certainly did limit partip- participation. Yeah, only Canada, Germany, Poland, and the United States had teams, so they played a double round robin, and for the first time, Canadian supremacy was threatened. Also, for the first time, some games were played indoors. Mm. Uh, the outdoor rink was inside the speed skating oval. Canada was represented inside inside the, inside the speed skating <laughs> games Imagine going on at the same time. Ex- yeah. oh, I I doubt it, but again, <laughs> it'd be still if you're standing in a snowbank watching hockey. Yeah, uh, you know it wouldn't be that close. No, there'd be a, <laughs> yeah. there'd be a, a speed skating rink between you. So the, yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. But they had a few indoors. Yeah, and uh, Canada was represented by the Winnipeg Hockey Club, aka the Winnipeggers, who had beaten the Hamilton Tigers for the 1931 Allen Cup. Winnipeg was managed by Lou Marsh, and that's the same Lou Marsh. The award is still given to this day to Canada's top athlete, amateur or professional, male or female. Canada beat Poland 9-0 and 10-0, and Germany 4-1 and 5-0. After beating the U.S. 2-1 in OT, the two teams met again for the gold medal. Tied 2-2 after regulation, the teams played three scoreless overtime periods of 10 minutes each. To end the stalemate, Officials decided to declare a tie and give the gold medal to the winner of the previous game. It was Canada's fourth Olympic gold and sixth world champion, cha- world championship. And again, Chris, the difference in the amateur and the professional game. It's like, you know, I, we've had enough. Uh, my wife is waiting for me. Yeah. She, she made supper. Yeah. And we're just going to stop it here. Yeah, we're tired. We're tired. Ref's tired. Um, yeah. New rule. Right. New rule. And, and again, Whoever won the previous game and whose captain is the oldest. Yeah. And there's going to be, again, a couple more examples of these uh, uh, decisions of a capricious nature oh, that's that we're going I can't to see. That, this that. one went. This, one this went is an our Olympic way. gold medal at stake here. This one went our way. You're going to see a couple that you know that, that don't. don't go that yeah. don't go our way. So but that, it is surprising to see that well, we were first threatened in the as early as 1932. As early as yeah, the yeah. states had had a great run, and um, uh, like I say, it's it's the difference though, really, between the amateur game and the professional game. You know, in uh, there was a couple of uh, three overtime. Yeah. You know, uh, games in the NHL and the NHL had already long decided we're going to play until someone scores. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're staying here. Till well, it's that's time. pretty crazy. That's yeah. wild, actually. Hi. All right. 1936. Garmisch Partenkirchen, Germany. I think that was is that close. I think I think that was very well done. 
Yeah, I yeah, think sorry, so. Sorry to our German Richard. listeners. <laughs> Before the games, uh, there was an attempt to organize a boycott against the Nazi government. Politics. Mm -hmm. These games also marked the beginning of a decade-long dispute. Where to draw the line between eligible amateurs and professionals in sports. That dispute would come for hockey, but these games were controversial for the sport for other reasons. First, it was defining nationality. The Halifax Wolverines won the 1935 Allen Cup, but by late that year, many players had moved away or were playing on different teams, so the runner-up Port Arthur Bearcats were chosen to represent Canada. On the eve of the games, Canada complained about the makeup of the British team. Nine of the 13 had grown up or played in Canada, and two were under suspension for not seeking permission to play elsewhere. Canada dropped the protests so play in the 15-nation tournament could proceed, a decision they would later regret when one of the players, goalie Jimmy Foster, stoned the Canadians 2-1 in the second round, giving Canada its first loss ever in Olympic hockey. Mm. This was compounded by the fact that only after the second round was over, Olympic officials announced that second round results would carry over into the final round, denying Canada a chance to avenge its defeat and virtually eliminating them from the gold medal. The Canadian contingent and the host Germans were furious with the IOC, threatening future boycotts, but the decision stood and Canada left with a bitter silver. That is unbelievable. Well, I have, you have to repeat that again. Well, and, and again, what, what it came down to was they, they had the top four teams. Yeah. And up until this point, when you got to Double the final round, round yeah. yeah, they they play three games. Right. And here they decided, Not oh, two. we're just going to play two after Britain beat Canada. Ugh. We're only going to play two in the final round. And that became sort of standard operating procedure for the Olympic tournament. Mm -hmm. But the original, you know, the, this originated, the decision originated right. because they saw a chance that, you know, yeah. So, again, just capricious. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that. That's Well, that's a great trivia question, too, though. Who was, who, was the, who was the first team other than Canada to win an Olympic uh, hockey gold medal? So and that's Great Britain. It was Great Britain. It was Great Britain. <laughs> hey. Great question. So, anyone who's listening, you can hang on to that one, because yeah. that will be in trivia next. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1948. Yes. Of so course. we have a little jump here um, the, uh, for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. There were no Olympics for a few years there. That's right. There 40, other things 40 going and, on. 40 and 44 were, uh, were uh, canceled due to so the, uh, due on to to the Switzerland. Second World War. On to Switzerland in 1948. Yeah, St. Moritz. Yeah, yep, St. Uh, yeah, so uh, by this time, the problem of amateur professional was at the forefront. The U.S. sent two teams, never neither of which fully satisfied the IOC. Mm. One team was allowed to play but their results did not count in the standings. Canada did not play in the 1947 uh, <clears throat> excuse me, World Championships because of this issue and was not going to send a team to the Games in Switzerland because of a dispute with the IOC over the definition of an amateur. Mm. Then the RCAF stepped in and volunteered to assemble a team made up of service members stationed nationwide. The Royal Canadian Air Force. That's it. And less, in less than four months, the RCAF flyers were leaving Ottawa for Europe, adding and dropping players up to the last minute. Five members of the team had been awarded the Military Cross for valor in the presence of the enemy mm. during World War II. That's a good quality for a hockey player. Indeed. Nine <laughs> countries participated in a round robin, while, and while all the games were outdoors, with poor ice, sketchy officiating, and spectators throwing snowballs, there were three 20-minute periods for the first time. Okay. The gap between Canada and the rest of the world continued to close. Both Canada and Czechoslovakia finished 7-0-1, the tie being a scoreless draw between themselves. Canada was awarded the, goal, uh, the gold on goal average, which is goals for divided by goals against. Canada had 69.45 against for a lofty 13.8 goal average, while the Czechs had 84 and 18 against for a paltry 4.3 goal average. So, like Bear Bryant said, defense wins championships. Yep. And and you need a shout out here, Chris, to Aircraftsman Second Class slash goaltender Murray Dowie, who had five shutouts in eight games and was at one point penalized two minutes for playing the puck forward, mm -hmm. which was still illegal at the time internationally. Had to serve the two minutes himself. So they had no goalie for two minutes. One of the defensemen grabbed the stick and the glove and stood there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> after, wow. After the games, the team toured Europe, 
playing exhibition games and promoting the sport, then returned to uh, Ottawa and disbanded, never to play again. Wow. That's a great story. That is an awesome story. Yeah. First and, of all, the Air Force coming through. Yeah. And, uh, and let me ask you this. Goals average, is that a thing? No. No. Not that I know of. I've never seen that used as a tiebreaker. Or, or a stat. Or a stat. Or a... No. Goals average. That's, no, never seen that before. Um, yeah, defense wins championships. And also, um, why, sorry, I was. I had a question there for you and I just lost it. Um why were they throwing snowballs? <laughs> yeah, why were they throwing <laughs> snowballs at the players? No, I, anyway, it might come to me after. But, um, yeah, so all the games were outdoors again? Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, yeah. Why? There were no... I, again, just the facilities, you know? And, and perhaps at that time, I mean, you're still pretty much post-war. Right? right. Even though I guess the Swiss were neutral. Yeah, you know? Again, just the, you know, the facilities are... are it's starting to come into the game... Now, again, that's, you know, we're getting into the 50s here. Yeah. It's going to start to, rec you know, be more recognizable to us modern fans. Right. All you right. Know, it's still very much in its roots. And and also, like, why are the rules different? Like, it seems like they're making up rules as they go here. So why? Uh, well, again, maybe not. The, uh, again, the, the rules, uh, I think they they adopted NHL rules early on. But as as we'll see. You know, it's still international hockey. Right. There are still differences between. But they didn't the have a championship game. game. It just was no, the it's end. Round robin. It's the yeah. end of the round robin. Yeah. And here's what we got. And yeah, the, the winners were going with goals against or goals for divided by goals, goals against. against. Yeah. This is what we decided this time. Okay. And we'll see what happens next time. Oh, well, let's go. <laughs> uh, I can't wait. Again, it was a tie, and that's what that forced the red tie. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's hope someone wins this. One. Zero zero tie at that. Tie. With sketchy ice and sketchy officiating. That's right. All right. Let's move on to Oslo, Norway, nineteen fifty two. Nineteen fifty two. Yes. And again, the tournament was almost not played because of countries' amateur codes differing from the IOC's definition. In nineteen fifty. Hoping to avoid the amateur status hassle, Canada chose the Edmonton Mercuries, an intermediate-level team, to represent them at that year's World Championships in London. They added some reinforcements and sent the team on a three-month European tour. The Mercuries won the championship, winning all five games and outscoring opponents 42-3. to And that's Mercury as in Ford. Jim Christensen ran a dealership in Edmonton that employed many of the players, and he donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to the team's efforts. Yeah, Ford Mercury. The, uh, the team returned uh, to Europe in 1952 to the sixth Winter Olympics in Oslo, again arriving on the continent early and staying after the Games to play exhibition matches and promote the sport. Uh, they were the first team to fly to the Olympics. Hmm. At the Games, nine nations played a round-robin tournament, the controversy during this round was the rough play of the Canadians and Americans, which by North American standards was not rough at all. And, and we're not talking about fighting here. We're talking about checking. Mm -hmm. And here's to your point you just made, Chris. Yeah. Um, you know, in 1920, the IOC adopted Canadian rules of play. Um, but there was always a disagreement on body contact, which the Europeans considered a goon tactic. It wasn't until 1968 that the Olympic body checking rule was changed to the NHL rule. So until then, hitting in the offensive zone was prohibited. So if, if your team, if they dump the puck over the blue line and come into the zone, the defenseman can play the man, but the forward can't play the man. He has to play the puck. Okay. So there was no banging in the offensive zone. But it allowed the defenseman an, an opportunity to at least play the body. Yes. Yes. To slow that's guy right. down. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's Steer right. him into the boards. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. Okay. But the forward could not initiate the contact. Oh, cool. And that stayed until in the Olympics until 19 until 68 wow yeah um the controversy in the final round was the tie between Canada and the United States the only game Canada did not win in the tournament the 3-3 draw resulted in the United States winning silver mm. and dropped Czechoslovakia to fourth leading the TASS news agency in Moscow to charge that the fix was in <laughs> and that would not be the last the hockey world heard from the Soviet Union yeah and Chris, it's all about to change here now. Okay. It's, you know, it's, 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 uh, and, and one quick uh, point about that, uh, uh accusation of, uh, of, uh, game fixing with the Canada versus the States. Canada outshot the United States in that game 58 to 13. Right. Yeah. 
So it was a little fishy, is what well, you're saying. <laughs> I don't have my tin hat on. <laughs> there was yeah. something going uh, on. Uh, two, two some eyes. Yeah, yeah. A three-three drop with shots fifty-eight to thirteen, and they they probably knew that if that happened, well, that would drop the checks down to fourth. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I and guess so. Sure. Uh, here <laughs> up to, up to this point now, yeah, uh, Canada had won six gold medals, right. fifteen world championships. It was going to be another fifty years before Canada would win another Olympic gold medal. The drought is about to start. In 1956, in Cortina d'Ampezzo, Italy. You're handling those names very well, I think. Yeah. This, uh, this was the Sorry, first... Sorry, Italy. <laughs> this was the first time the USSR participated in the Winter Olympics. But a sign of what was to come happened at the 1954 World Championships. There, the Russian national team demolished Canada, represented by the East York Lindhursts, 7-2 in the final, a result that was called by one newspaper back home a national disgrace. For the 56 games, Canada went with the Allen Cup champion Kitchener-Waterloo Dutchman, a dominant senior team who were coached by Waterloo native Bobby Bauer, who had uh, played on the Boston Bruins Kraut line mm. with Milt Schmidt and Woody Dumart and had won two Stanley Cups. Uh, as we'll see later, his younger brother, Father David Bauer, would play an even larger role in Canadian Olympic hockey history. In goal for the Dutchman was Denny Brodeur, father of, father of Martin and uh, later a famed hockey photographer. Unfortunately, a combination of player changes due to Olympic eligibility rules, a grueling Ontario Hockey Association schedule, and hubris would lead to an unprecedented poor finish for Canada. Ten teams were divided into three pools, and all went well for the Canadians through the first round as the team outscored its opponents 30-1. to uh, This was the first time that all games were played indoors. Mm. However, in the medal round, a 4-1 defeat to the United States, followed by a 2-0 loss at the hands of the Soviets, gave Canada bronze for the first time. So the consensus in Canada was not that we'd won bronze, but lost gold. Right. And the concept of a purpose-built national team for international competitions, which had been discussed for some time, they began to look at that a lot more closely. And uh, this also marked the beginning of the scrutiny of the way the USSR was operating, and it was also the start of, if we sent the NHL, we'd kick their ass talk. Right. Which, again, and it'd be 16 years until 1972, mm -hmm. which would prove right and wrong. That's true, yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, that started in 1956, and then it was not until 1972 that we saw. Yeah, well, I didn't right. know that. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, um, and again, you're going to see now how, how we evolve. Yeah. This was, uh, as you'll see, that, that was the last of the club teams. Okay, so this is. Or, the, or yeah. I'm sorry, there is there is a, there is one more club team, and then we and then we move into the uh, into Team Canada, team Canada as we as I, we know right. it today. Yeah. Well, let's see what happened in 1960 in Squaw Valley, California. The Allen Cup champs. Well, yeah, all right. The uh, the Allen Cup champion uh, Whit Whitby Dunlops. Yep. They restored Canadian pride by defeating the Russians 4-2 at the 1958 World Championships. Canada did not play in 1957. Pro protesting the Soviet invasion of Hungary. Politics. Mm -hmm. More the, politics. The team won the Allen Cup again in 1959, but declined the invitation to represent Canada at the 1960 Olympics and folded soon thereafter, a victim to the declining popularity of senior hockey brought on by television mm -hmm. and the NHL. Right. The CAHA chose the Kitchener-Waterloo Dutchman to again represent Canada, but they again put themselves at a disadvantage by having to drop players to meet Olympic standards, though they did pick up Harry Sinden from the Dunlops. And they again played a tough OHA season before heading to California. In the end, only eight players remained from the Dutchman's original roster. And while they did beat the USR, at USSR 8-5 in the 19 tournament, Australia made its first and only appearance wow. uh, as a hockey team. They lost 2-1 to an inspired team of young Americans playing on home ice. And doesn't that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah. So they settled for silver. Yeah. So it was an improvement on 56, 
But the time had come for a truly national team. Right. Although there, you'll see, there's challenges lay ahead with. Well, the with rest that of the position. world was catching up, like slowly but surely, as we can see here. And, and then and they it, start to panic. Yes, and and again, Chris, <laughs> and what what you're going to see here was the problem of it was like day jobs versus right. the, the USSR. Right. Yeah. The uh, the Russians were army. Yeah. You know, they were the Soviet Red Army. Yeah. So they 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 weren't professional hockey players. No, they were they were soldiers. Right. So. Yeah. This is the way they got around the system. Right. And they weren't soldiers like um, marching into Hungary in 1956 soldiers. No. No, they were soldiers who trained and played hockey for 11 months of the year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Canada, you yeah. know, if you had a day job, if you were, uh, for example, Sid Smith, uh, who was, uh, the, uh, uh, was uh, the Leafs captain, won a couple of cups with the Leafs. Yeah. He joined Harry Sinden. He was able to play in the world championships with uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. But when it came to the Olympics... He was not, because he didn't meet the standards. Mm. So we, yeah, we were playing at a at a severe disadvantage. And did you find anything else out about uh, Australia's team if they've I'll, ever got I, well, close I before? Well, I didn't want I didn't want to get down that wormhole. Yeah. Because I I'm I'm very very curious though. Yeah. yeah. What happened? How did they get there? We'll have don't to talk worry. about yeah, that at another well, point. Don't worry. I'm yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's we, we, I'm very we, interested. Now, I yeah. am. I am. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm on. I'm on. We're on the same page here. Indeed. Good. All right. So let's move on then, Terry. Uh, 1964, Innsbruck, Austria. Yes. Now, at, at the annual meeting of the CHA, CAHA in June 1962, Father David Bauer's proposal for a true national team was accepted. When Bauer, brother of the aforementioned Kitchener-Waterloo Dutchman coach Bobby Bauer, was 16, he turned down an offer to play for the Boston Bruins Top Farm Club to attend St. Michael's College and then the University of Toronto. While in school, he won a Memorial Cup in 1944 with the Oshawa Generals, and after being ordained as a Basilian priest, he returned to St. Mike's to teach and coach, winning the 1961 Memorial Cup. A true believer in the ideals of amateur athletics, he saw hockey and education as the cornerstones to building a successful life. It was at St. Mark's College at UBC in August 1963 that Team Canada began training for the 1964 Games. Now, the plan was imperfect. The truly elite amateurs often had already signed pro contracts, but it was a chance to train a team for seven months with no late additions and no league schedule to adhere to. The status quo wasn't working. For, did yeah. the players commit to that? So yes. Oh, the yes. guys that they got committed to yep. being there the whole time. That's okay. exactly right. For the yes. first time. Yeah, for the first time. Gotcha. And, and again, uh, the status quo wasn't working. No. So they had to do something. Uh, and so this was going to be viewed as progress, mm -hmm. you know, no matter how it, how it turns out. Uh, the team played a 33-game exhibition schedule across the country, and while it had the desired effect on team building, the games were against other amateur clubs. In hindsight, some matches against NHL or AHL competition right. might have served as better preparation for the upcoming battles with the Russians and the Czechs. Sixteen teams played qualification games and were split into two pools for the final round-robin play. Against Sweden, Swedish forward Carl Oberg threw his broken stick into the Canadian bench, cutting open Coach Bauer's forehead. Father Bauer was able to keep his team on the bench, thus saving Oberg from the beating of his life. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, ne the next night, Father Bauer invited Oberg to watch the Czech-Russia game with him, and at the end of the Olympic competition, he was awarded a special gold medal for sportsmanship. Well, there you go. Hey. Canada won its first five games behind the clutch goaltending of Rosslyn, B.C.'s Seth Martin. But he was hurt against the Czechs, and the team faltered late, losing 3-1, before playing the Soviets very tough in a narrow 3-2 loss. Canada assumed they had earned bronze on goal differential among the, amongst the top four teams. However, a decision was made, a by, decision was made. by IOC <laughs> officials during the third period oh. of the final tournament game. I'm out of here. Between Sweden and the Czechs to change the tiebreaker to a goal difference in all final round games, dropping Canada off the podium for the first time oh in my Olympic gosh. This hockey is unbelievable. history. Again, my ca God. capricious. Worse still, the team was not informed of the decision and showed up at the medal ceremony fully <sighs> expecting to receive bronze. Oh, my. Mm. So, last-minute screw job aside, yeah. right, the, the games were viewed as a success for Canada, and, and it showed that, you know, this was going to be the way forward 
for international competition. How did these people live with these decisions? Well, and again, I, I'm just, mad just a, now. Well, just a just a quick it's word. 80 years, 60 years later. Just a quick word, Chris, about a couple of the people that you're wow. dealing with here. For, yeah. So for the, uh, the uh, you know, because the IOC is a criminal organization. Yes. And and first of all, the IIHF. That, it was led by uh, an Irishman, Francis Bunny Ahern. Okay. Uh, he was the coach of the Great Britain team in 1936. Oh, so all the way back. Tin hats coming back. Yeah, there it is, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so and so he was he was never on our side. Uh-huh. And and then there was Avery Brundage, who was the head of the IOC from 1952 to 1972, a notorious anti-Semite. Uh-huh. Um, Slavery Avery was one of the one, uh, of nicknames? one of the nicknames. So that'll give you an idea on his uh, views on people of color. His character. And uh, yeah, he wasn't so much for, for women as well. Mm-hmm. That pretty well goes without saying. So yeah, these, these were some of the, uh, you know, wow. again, it's hard enough playing the Russian machine without, uh, you know, having these, again, capricious, I think, is the only word you can used to describe some of these uh, some of these decisions. I just can't I, like imagine this was today and they tried to change a rule halfway through a tournament in and, the Olympics. And again Chris we're getting up here now to yeah the decision. Right. And and it's it's yeah it's, as you said it's these it's just this mounting and mounting amount of things yeah that are adding one on top of the other. And, yeah, you'll see what we do. Yeah, all right. Well, let's move on to uh, Grenoble, France. Yeah, for uh, 1968. 1968. Right. So the national team now represented Canada at the World Championships. They placed fourth, third, and third from 1965 to 1967. So it was every year? World yeah, the World Championships every, every year. year. Yeah. And, and, again, this would, this would be the last year. Up until this point, if you won the, uh, uh, the Olympics— you were world champion. Right. Right. Gotcha. And then in non-Olympic years, as they still do, yep. you know, we're defending, we're holders right. of the world championship. Correct. Gerard Gallant. Yes. Um, so uh, they finished uh, fourth, what was it? Yeah, fourth, third, and third from 65 to 67. Yep. And, and again, respectable results. But the gap between the Russian professionals or, you know, amateurs, shamateurs. Yeah, the shamateurs. The shamateurs. I love that. Yeah, the, uh, yeah they, uh, who won, they won all three of those tournaments. Right. So, I mean, the difference was queer. And, and again, Chris, to explain it, um, imagine the original six, all right? So you have the original six in the NHL, but there's a seventh team in the original six. And on that uh, seventh team, you take Bobby Orr from the Bruins, you take uh, Jean Bellafon from the Habs, you take Bobby Hall from the Hawks. Yeah. You take Terry Sawchuk from, he played for everyone but the Habs. Mm-hmm. And you put them on a seventh team. Yeah. This is what you had with the Soviet Union. They were playing in their domestic league as a unit. Right. So, I mean, it's it's uphill. Yeah, well, like you said, there's a lot of politics involved. Russia was at, at the time was trying to be, you know, the first to the moon and yeah. the, the, the power of the, of the hockey world. Of course, world. It, was, it was the Just, Cold War. Yeah, exactly. It was the Cold War. Yeah. Now, the Canadian team began preparing in August 1967. Father Bauer stayed on as GM, while ex-New York Ranger Jackie McLeod was coach. McLeod would bear the brunt of the criticism for the eventual result, being compared unfavorably against Soviet coaching legend Anatoly Tarasov. The final roster would include nine future NHLers, including Billy McMillan from Charlottetown. Mm, there you go. Shout out to PEI. Yep. Canada won a pre-Olympic tournament at Grenoble, but then struggled in hosting their own pre-Olympic tournament. The CAHA proposed the idea of a more structured league to the IOC, wherein the Olympic teams from different countries played maybe 20, 30 games against each other. But that proposal went nowhere, right. because why would you help Canada improve? Right. Yeah, so 14 teams played in the two-tier round robin. Canada beat Czechoslovakia, but lost to Finland for the first time ever. Oh, Finland's making an appearance. However, the Czechs beat the Russians, snapping their 39-game international competition win streak Mm -hmm. to set up a final game showdown, with a Canadian win garnering gold, a tie silver, and a loss bronze. Canada gave up a shorthanded goal in the first, and the Russians added three goals in the third to win five to nothing. Uh, Soviet goaltender Viktor Konovalenko. He was the, nice he was the Vladislav Tretiak before Vladislav Tretiak. Okay. So for Canada, Chris, again, bronze is nice in, say, biathlon or <laughs> Nordic, Nordic combined, right? But in hockey, it, it just it won't do. No. And they were at a crossroads. So we keep sending underqualified amateurs in the name of Olympic ideals, amateur fair play, etc., or do something drastic to let the IOC and the IIHF know our frustration and displeasure. We chose the latter. 
Awesome. All right. Well, there you go. Um, that's some incredible, you know, history right there, first of all. And um, I'm just kind of torn here between thinking about, you know, how we always think that Canada is the powerhouse of hockey and it always has been and always will be. Right. But that was a struggle there for about 50 years. Well, again, you know, where, and, 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 where again, we might have had... Was it a level playing field? Well, that's what we're saying. Yeah, right. it wasn't a level playing field. But, but, but at the same time, no, we were never as good as we thought we were. No, because no. and and you and we always probably had that excuse. We were never able to send our best, of or our, you know, yeah. even even of course. even our best amateurs. That's we had right. to, we were secure in that. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So again, an and, honest approach. Yeah, and and you know, you're going to you're going to see it evolve. Yeah. Right. You're going yeah. to see it evolve now because because again, they 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 pull the door. Uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll talk about in part two. Yes. We're going to talk in more detail about why we did sit out the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So they didn't participate. In uh, seventy two and seventy six, Sapporo and uh, was it Innsbruck in seventy six? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't participate there. They came back for nineteen eighty, uh, back in Lake Placid. Yes, um, and then uh, Chris, we'll, we'll talk about the acceptance of professionals through the nineties. Yep, how the teams morphed into what we uh, have seen with entire NHL All Star teams. And, uh, and like a mixture thereof. Yep. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the women's team yes. and the growth of the women's game, Great. and uh, and maybe where uh, where we're headed. Uh, you know, in uh, 2022 and beyond. Sounds great, man. Yeah. I can't wait. Hi. All right. So <clears throat> stay yeah, tuned me, uh, for part a, two. Yeah, give us a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, uh, when we'll do, you, do you think we'll do this before the Olympics? Yeah, maybe, maybe? maybe be able to squeeze it in there. I hope so. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, let's try to do that. Giddy up. And uh, thanks again, my friend. Always that was amazing. Yeah. Um, and thank I'm you, still, Paul. I'm still upset here. Yeah. I, yeah, you always leave me with something. <laughs> I'm going to go home upset about all these rule changes. <laughs> you were sad about the movie there last sad time. Sad about man. movies and upset about rule changes. Good to see. Uh, uh, Terry good, brings in all the emotions. Good to see the emotions is right. Yeah. Yeah. We, heard the, we heard the Bruins there a couple of times today, too. So yeah, we, there were a lot of Bruins, enough, lot yeah. of Bruins talk there, there for you. enough in there to make Paul happy, I hope. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks, Paulie. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, that was sir. Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Felix & Co., Psalm Sleep, and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. And of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McLean. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to AccrossThePondHK.com or find us on social media at AccrossThePondHK.